0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent here with my co-host, Sean Cheatham. And today we are going to continue our study through the Ten Commandments with Mr. Prager. We are on what we would consider to be the third commandment about uh, how the Lord's name is to be used. I think he would take a different view on the numbering as we've talked in previous episodes. Um, But we're going to dive right into this very important commandment, and what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. What does that really look like Um, biblically, uh, really looking at it in accordance with primarily through the old covenant and the old law, Um, but there might be some New Testament references. Jesus does talk about this as well in Matthew 5. Um, So without further ado, we'll dive right into Prager's video, and we'll just comment as we go along.
1: Is there such a thing as the worst sin, one sin that is worse than all the others? Well, there is. I am well aware that some people differ. They maintain that we can't declare any sin worse than any other. To God, a sin is a sin is how it's often expressed. In this view, the person who steals a stapler from the office is committing as grievous a sin in God's eyes as a murderer. But most people intuitively, as well as biblically, understand that some sins are clearly worse than others. We are confident that God has at least as much common sense as we do. The God of Judaism.
0: So yeah. I think we'd agree in in the sense that um, not all sins are equal in terms of their um, standing. I think we can see that very clearly in the Old Covenant, where certain sins are have far more severe punishments than others. Um, so I'd, you know, we'd agree with that. Um, I do think that when we're talking about guilt in terms of actually committing a sin and just the bare notion of breaking God's law. I think they're all sins are all the same in that respect. But in terms of um, how grievous those sins are, um, that is going to vary uh, depending on how God is prescribed. For instance, murder. Uh, if you murder somebody, you're going to uh, the, the just punishment for that, according to the Noahic covenant, is that your blood shall be shed as well. So capital punishment is the uh, just requirement for killing somebody else for committing um, homicide. Um, But you wouldn't find that if you were to steal something from your neighbor, it'd be a far less severe punishment, although the punishment could still be severe, but it's not worth capital punishment. Um, So I think that's important to point out. You started to say something, Sean, when I jumped in.
2: Yeah. Oh, no problem. I was just saying if you wanted to stop there or not. Yeah. already yeah, it's um it's a question of uh relative versus absolute right um yeah. relative in a relative sense um some sins are worse than others and that's why we do see punishments being um levied differently uh depending on the sin however in an absolute sense all sin is the same because it's all sin against an infinitely holy god and therefore of infinite uh, value. And just a, a couple of proof texts for this. Um, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the wages of sin is death. It doesn't, doesn't qualify this with, well, the wages of some sin is death. The wages of these sins are death. No, the wages of sin is death, because you've sinned against a God who is worthy of, to be uh, not sinned against, to be followed on every single point. And every deviation from his law is evil. So in a relative sense, yes, some sins are, are worse than others. But in an absolute sense, when looking uh, towards God, we recognize that our sins are, um, are all of infinite um, sinfulness, of infinite evil. And just a, a another proof text here real quick. Psalm 14:2 through3. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek uh, God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So here we're being shown that even though from a human perspective, some people might be might look better than others. In an absolute sense, from God's perspective, all have done evil. There are none righteous, no, not one. All of our good works are tainted with sin. Um, so there's no there's no ability for man to say, well, I'm better than that person. Uh, I've committed less sins. Well, from an absolute sense, uh, you're, you're still uh, guilty before God and worthy of uh, punishment. So... Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't agree with uh, Mr. Prager. I do agree in, in some sense that, yes, sin is relative, but he's left out the absolute um, the absolute part of it.
0: Yeah, and I think that'll come that'll become key as we go along when we're talking about um, is this sin unforgivable or not? Uh, mm-hmm. So I think absolute guilt will kind of play into that uh, discussion. All
1: right, so we'll continue on here. ...in Christianity does not equate stealing an office item with murder. So then, what is the worst sin? The worst sin is committing evil in God's name. How do we know? From the third commandment of the Ten Commandments. This is the only one of the Ten Commandments that states that God will not forgive a person who violates the commandment. What does the commandment say? It is most commonly translated as, Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold guiltless, meaning will not forgive, whoever takes his name in vain. Most people understandably think that the commandment forbids saying God's name for no good reason. So something like, God, that I have a rough day at work today, violates the third commandment. But that interpretation presents a real problem. It would mean that whereas God could forgive the violation of any of the other commandments, dishonoring one's parents, stealing, adultery, or even committing murder, he would never forgive someone who said, God, that I have a rough day at work today. Let's be honest. That would render God and the Ten Commandments morally incomprehensible.
0: Now, I find this very ironic because for like the first three videos, he's been Um, emphasizing how God's law is the ultimate standard of what is good and what is not, and that man's opinion doesn't matter as it relates to that. But now he's coming in and saying, well, God could not do this, because that would be morally uh, incomprehensible according to some kind of standard that I made up. I didn't pull this from the commandment itself. I'm imposing this understanding of morality back onto the commandment. I find that very ironic, and I didn't pick up on that until literally just now and as we're watching this. Um, it, it He's now kind of flipping the tables and in, in doing the thing that he's been criticizing. Um, because the question would become, well, why uh, would that uh, not be morally uh, problematic to say that? Um, now, as we're going to you know, discuss, that's really not what the commandment is talking about. That doesn't mean we shouldn't. We should use God's name that way, but the commandment here is talking about something very different. Um, but I do find it interesting that he pushes this standard of morality um onto well, this God has to do this when the commandment itself that you know he's saying this is our standard is not teaching uh that specifically. What are your thoughts on that,
2: Sean? Yeah, no, that, that's an interesting point. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that either. Yeah. It is he's creating a, a second standard by which to judge the law of God. Well, yeah. this would be morally incomprehensible, and I the part of the the issue is I don't agree with his premise of what it means, uh, what the commandment means when it says, uh, "I will not hold him guiltless who takes my name in vain." Mm-hmm. He's taking it in in uh, I guess an absolute sense. Um, but we know from the scriptures that guilt is able to be removed. Um, we we see that uh, in several places actually. Um, uh, for example, uh, sorry, actually, no, I, I, I I want to uh, I want to preface this a little bit by saying this is not the only spot where we see very absolute language being used um, in regards to uh, sin. So, for example, Exodus 34, and the Lord passed by before him, this him being Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. So here... We we're reading that God won't clear the guilty. If they're guilty, then they're, they're mm-hmm. going to get punished. And yet, even in the Old Testament, we see that there's something else also going on at the same time. Uh, Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. And Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the East is from the West, so far hath he removed our transgression from us. So while God is a a just God, he is also able to, in a sense, remove guilt. It's true. Like God won't clear the guilty. Um, But if he's able to remove the guilt from that person, um, then in in a sense, they're no longer guilty. And this is why... um, uh, Paul in Romans 3, verses 25 through 26, makes uh, the comment that um, uh, the cross is actually to declare the righteousness of God. Um, and the, the verses read, Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. God. There's there's an issue, right? If God says, I won't clear the guilty, and yet doesn't punish people for their sins, forgives them, how can it be? It's a contradiction. But we see the resolution of this apparent contradiction in the New Testament with the uh, sacrifice of Christ, that Mm -hmm. he bears our sins. He takes away our guilt. He became sin for us. Um, so that we are not punished according uh, to the sin that we've committed. He's removed our guilt from us. And that's the only way these things can work. Um, It's the only way we can be saved. Otherwise, we would all be condemned. Because again, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Um, And that's a quotation from the Old Testament. When Paul says that, he's quoting from the Old Testament. I forget which psalm it is off the top of my head, but it's there. I think it's uh, Psalm 32. It might be. It might be. Um, so this is not something that uh, Mr. Prager can say. Oh well, that's a New Testament teaching. I don't. I don't hold to that. No, it comes. It comes from the Old Testament. So um, I'm. I'm going to also disagree with what he. Um, he thinks the guilt is, but or what it means to hold um, someone guiltless or not guiltless. Um, but we, we can save that for a little bit later.
0: Yeah. Um... Yeah, the, the concept of guiltlessness is it seems to be a huge theme for him. Um, you know, another place we look at Malachi three five it says, "Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me," says the Lord. What's interesting is this text actually appears in John Gill's commentary on Exodus 20, verse 7, um, when talking specifically about the guiltless um, aspect of Exodus 20, verse 7. Um, So we can see here that God holds people guiltless, or well, does not hold them guiltless, for violating other aspects of the law, right? Adultery, swearing falsely, which has to do with what we're talking about here, ironically enough. Um, those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, you know, ripping people off, that would be violation of the ninth commandment, oppression of the widow and the fatherless, those who thrust aside the sojourner do not fear me. So it's basically encompassing the entire law and the concepts that are found in there. Um, and God is not holding these people, uh, guiltless. He's still punishing them. He's still, um, putting his judgment upon them. Um, so if Prager were to be consistent, um, then no one could really be saved. I mean, he believes that you can get to heaven by your good works. Well, if you violated all these other commandments, which he would agree that, you know, at, at least man is not basically good. So all of us probably have violated those things according to his standard. Uh, then nobody can really be held guiltless if that's the standard, because um, that we've all violated these laws. Uh, and so did these other people of Israel. Um, and God was punishing them for that, which is what it means to be uh, not be held guiltless. So he's not being consistent uh, here. That doesn't mean that there isn't anything special about violating the Lord's name. It is, I think, especially egregious. Um, it, and it is specifically said in the text and it's not in the other. So there's something heinous about violating um, God's name and using his name in vain. But as we talked about between absolute guilt, relative guilt, um, from an absolute perspective, sin is sin. And God will not hold men guiltless who commit sin Um, regardless. In some sense, um, God's wrath is abiding upon the wicked man. Um, So we have to be very careful when we're talking about these things. But even from the Old Testament, we see examples where God is not holding... Uh, people the people of Israel guiltless for other things that they broke in the law of God so we can't just say that this sin is somehow unforgivable um, or whatnot um, Calvin said this about uh, about exodus 20 verse 70 he said but since nothing is more difficult than to restrain men's licentiousness in this respect and to excuse or at least diminish the sin the slipperiness of the tongue is pleaded it's punishment is here denounce that if God's name is rashly exposed to reproach or contempt, he will avenge it. And that's really the, the idea here, that God is going to avenge the misuse of his name. He's going to punish it, right? Um, and Sean and I were just talking about, um, you know, a specific translation, the New American Standard Version, and how it uses, it doesn't use the term guiltless, it uses the uh, concept of punishment. Um, it says, you shall not, this is the 1995 edition, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Now again, that concept of punishment, not that man is merely, uh, not that man is unforgivable in this sense, in terms of guiltless, which is Prager's understanding, but that um, God is going to punish those who violate his name. Um, And then, like Sean said, there, you know, there is hope, even in the Old Testament that we see. You know, you quoted those passages from Psalms. Um, I think Isaiah is another really uh, key place. I mean, the people of Israel at this point had fallen into great sin. They're about to be judged by the Babylonians. Right. And God calls out to them to repent. Isaiah 66, verse two, he says, all these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I will look, who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So God will forgive those who turn to him, right? And this is those who violate his law. He will turn to them. He will forgive them. Um, Go forward or go back some chapters to Isaiah 57. Uh, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the hearts of the contrite. Again, we see God is near to those who repent, those who forsake their wicked ways, which by definition is violating God's law. So, And that would be those who are not held guiltless. They're being punished right now for the sins and violating God's covenant. Um, so again we can see from the Old Testament that God forgives God turns away from his wrath towards his people um, He doesn't hold them guiltless forever um, because our God is a is a loving God who forgives based on the covenant stipulations his own character and there really is no hope here that Prager provides there's no gospel it's just law oh you're guilt you know you're unforgivable there's there's nothing we can do about it you know. Too bad. So sad. Have a nice day. Uh, no, we have uh, a glorious message of of grace and gospel that Christ fulfilled that law that we broke, and we can have um, that perfect righteousness and salvation and freedom from that law by from living under the burden of it. Um, so it's it's kind of depressing listening to this because there there's no hope here. Um, Prager just comes in with a hammer and just starts swinging and there's no there's no um, there's no bomb or anything like that it, it's just all law um, so we'll play a little bit more and then I want to talk about what is taking the Lord's name in vain I think that's uh, key to the uh, discussion i did well. have
2: one more uh, comment before we move yeah, on yeah go ahead um so i take a slightly different view of why this commandment has the you should not um he will not hold you uh, guiltless who takes his name in vain um mm-hmm. because we, we do ultimately have to answer the question why is this here and not in the other commandments if what we're saying is okay uh, well, sins are forgivable, including, including this one, God can remove the guilt. Why does this one seem to be differentiated from the others? Mm-hmm. And the way I take it is, this is the one that people, um when committing it, are, they're, they're thinking less of God, right? And this will be mm-hmm. a little bit um, into uh, what we're about to talk about. But um, what does it mean to take God's name in vain, right? Well, vain is empty, right? It's, it's, thinking something that it's not there uh, it's it's vain it's 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 emptiness right uh, so when you're treating God's name as, as empty as is meaningless you're, you're you're treating him as if he's nothing right and this this is here as a reminder no I will I will hold you to account to this I will not hold you guiltless this is uh, this is something very serious so yeah. I think I think that's why this is explicitly brought out here because in some sense you could say he won't hold them guiltless who commits any of these, but it's just a a reminder to the person that's treating God lightly that no, no, this is very serious. And I will, I will hold you to account. So just a little bit of a different take there.
0: Yeah. And and I think I'd agree with, I don't think we're disagreeing. Mm -hmm. I think we're saying the same thing. I I would agree with that because it is there and it's distinct from the other commandments in that respect. Um, so there is a like in a special emphasis on the uh, the fact that God will not treat this lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that takes away from the fact that um, you know God will not treat someone guiltless regardless of what they do. I think mm-hmm. there's just a special emphasis here because, yes. like you said, the seriousness of it. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, then Prager would be right if if it is in the sense of unforgiveness, then he would be right in that sense. And we would be left saying, well, okay, I guess the other passages are either. They're not talking about this or there's a contradiction. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, other passages that speak more clearly about this, but yeah, I I would agree with that. I think that's, that's important um, because we're talking about, I I think this is a commandment that if violated is a much more direct attack upon God's character Mm -hmm. than the others are. Uh, idolatry you know is important but when you're flippant with the lord's name especially in the context of what we're going to be talking about uh the lord's name uh, taking the lord's name in vain actually meaning um i think it's a very grave thing to do to treat god's name in this way it just shows utter disregard for god and utter disregard for his um for who he is to do such a thing um so yeah
1: trying to pull it up on it there we go well as it happens the commandment is not the problem the problem is the translation the hebrew original does not say do not take it says do not carry the hebrew literally reads do not carry the name of the lord thy god in vain One of the most widely used new translations of the Bible, the New International Version, or NIV, uses the word misuse, rather than the word take. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This is much closer to the original's intent. What does it mean to carry? Yep.
2: So, I, um... John's
0: TR antenna's going up.
2: (laughs) Yeah, quoting for the NIV, definitely. But... um. (laughs) I, once again, I'm going to have to very much disagree with his, uh, with his Hebrew there. Uh, there. Um, so the word he's referring to is, uh, the, the root is nasa. That's the, uh, the Hebrew word there. And uh, I looked it up in Strong's and uh, Strong's definition was to lift, to carry, to take. So it has both, um, both of these as viable as translations, either carry or take. And lift
0: and, apparently so kind and, of like yeah. three three yeah, different possibilities there.
2: Yeah, they're all they're all related ideas, obviously. You yeah, can, you can yeah. lift something and you're you're carrying it or you're taking it. Like they're, they're related concepts. Yeah. So um, just to prove that in certain contexts it does it does mean take. I'm going to uh, quote here from Numbers sixteen fifteen, which also uses the same word, um, or at least the, it's the same root. And Moses was very wroth and said unto the Lord respect not thou not vow their offering I have not taken one donkey from them neither have I hurt one of them. so you'll you'll you hear it like I have not taken one uh, it's ass in the uh, King James but one donkey um, from them so it's I guess you could render it as I have not carried one from them, but it's a little bit more awkward. Take is, is a little bit more of uh, what we would expect in English.
0: Curious the idea. Yeah. Uh,
2: but yeah, yeah, exactly. So we could, and there's other spots where it's obvious that the translation should be rendered as take, but it's not a, so he's pitting these, um, against each other. It's like, well, it can't be take. It has to be carry. Well, it, it could be translated as either. And I think it's, it's, it makes more sense in context of the 10 commandments to say, I, I Um, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain, as opposed to you shall not carry it. Carrying it is a little bit uh, confusing. He then goes on to quote from the NIV and says, um, uh, says that, Oh, well they rendered it as misuse. And this is, this is closer to the intent that's being got across. And I would, um, as much as I don't necessarily like the NIV, I would actually uh, (laughs) agree that it is uh, the intent. The issue is misuse can mean a lot of things. He's going to suggest that it just means um, misrepresenting God, essentially. But we would say that um, speaking flippantly with God's name is also misusing it. So I don't think he's actually um, solved the issue there by saying, oh, well, it, it, it literally means carry and we can sort of, understand it as misuse it's like yeah I, I agree that it's misusing the name of the lord but that's that that doesn't prove your point
0: yeah and, and then like we talked about for the show he makes us leap from carry to misuse somehow carry means misuse for even those concepts have nothing to do with each other um now we, you know we could take that and look at the context i guess but it just he doesn't really give that type of contextual explanation here yeah um, that would be required to make that leap yeah um so he, he's trying to do sort of textual exegesis from looking at the underlying language but then in kind of imposing a modern mm-hmm. translation back into the original and saying well this is what it means yeah um yeah so his his biblical languages don't seem to be Mm -hmm. very strong.
2: No, no. And also, you'll note that we're we're at least about to quote from other spots in the Bible that will back up our understanding of why taking the Lord's name of vain means what it does. Um, Mostly from the Old Testament. Yeah, mostly from the Old Testament. But uh, I don't believe he quotes from any other verse in this video. Um, It's just an assertion. It's like, well, um, it would be morally absurd to think the one way, which already he's not completely understanding um the other view but he doesn't then reference anything it's just reading the commandment and this is what it means so
0: there's no concept of the analogy of faith with Mm pregger hey let's go to leviticus Mm -hmm. so and so and let me back up my point elsewhere Mm -hmm. in the law yeah there's none of that here
2: which again i understand that these are made to be five minute videos you can't capture every single thing um well, but sometimes if maybe, you're going to dive into these topics. Yeah. You have to,
0: you got to flush them out if you're yeah. going to make certain assertions. Yeah, yeah.
1: Makes good clickbait, though. Or to misuse God's name, it means committing evil in God's name, and that God will not forgive. Why not? When an irreligious person commits evil, it doesn't bring God and religion into disrepute. But when religious people commit evil, especially in God's name, they are not only committing evil, they are doing terrible damage to the name of God. In our time, there is an example of this. The evils committed by Islamists who torture, bomb, cut throats, and mass murder, all in the name of God, do terrible damage to the name of God. It is not coincidental that what is called the New Atheism, the immense eruption of atheist activism, followed the 9-11 attacks on America by Islamist terrorists. In fact, the most frequent argument against God and religion concerns evil committed in God's name, whether it is done in the name of Allah today or was done in the past in the name of Christ. People who murder in the name of God not only kill their victims, they kill God, too. That's why the greatest sin is religious evil. That's what the third commandment is there to teach.
0: Okay, a lot, lot to unpack here. Um, none of that actually proves anything. Uh, it's just moralistic language couched to make it look like it's uh, biblical language. But there's nothing from the text that actually derives it. So he summarized, he thinks that the greatest moral evil is doing uh, evil in the name of God. So whether it's a religious um, actor or it is a religious, some kind of religious actor saying they're acting on behalf of God. But in fact, what they're doing is evil. Um, But we're going to demonstrate as briefly as we can, I guess, that um, this is not about. Uh, doing something evil in God's name. It's really about oath-taking. And the law is very much uh, in line with that. We see this in multiple places. I'm going to jump over to Joshua 9, 2, where we see a practical example of this playing out. Um, So I want to go into our Confession of Faith, chapter 23, a specific chapter on lawful oaths called Of Lawful Oaths and Vows. So this issue was clearly important to our particular Baptist forefathers. Um, So we'll look at paragraph one. Um, A lawful oath is a part of religious worship. And real quick, I'll just say that I didn't see any differences between the Westminster and the Savoy. I think it's word for word or at least very, very close. So I don't think they I think they were in unison with the independence and the uh, Presbyterians of Westminster divines. Uh, A lawful oath is a part of religious worship wherein the person swearing in truth, righteousness, and judgment solemnly calls God to witness what he swears and to judge him according to the truth or falseness thereof. In one of the proofs' texts that is used in this pass for this par- excuse me, for this paragraph is Exodus 20, verse 7. Now you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So the particular Baptist clearly saw the third commandment as talking about uh, oaths and vows, or at least with oaths in God's name. So you're using God to witness what he swears. So you're calling upon God as the ultimate source of truth, as the ultimate witness, um, to bear witness to what it is that you're swearing. You're being very solemn. It's not to be something that is done lightly in light of the third commandment. Okay. So the particular Baptist saw that way we jump down to paragraph two the name of God only is that by which men ought to swear, and therein it is to be used with all holy fear and reverence. Therefore, to swear vainly or rashly by that glorious and dreadful name, or to swear at all by any other thing, is sinful and to be abhorred. Yet as in matter of wait and moment for confirmation of truth and ending all strife, an oath is warranted by the word of God. So a lawful oath being imposed by lawful authority in such matters ought to be taken. Now, again, notice what's being tied here. God's name is being tied with the oath-taking, okay? And it's to be done in reverence. It's not to be done rashly. These oaths are to be thought through very, very carefully and with solemnness. There isn't to be flippancy um, that is done here. Okay, and then it continues on, paragraph 3. Whoever whosoever takes an oath warranted by the word of God ought duly to consider the weightiness of so solemn an act, and therein to avouch nothing but what he knows to be the truth, and for that by rash, false, and vain oaths the Lord is provoked, and for them this land mourns. A proof text that's used for this paragraph. Leviticus nineteen twelve says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Again. Swearing by God's name falsely, using an oath in an improper way, rashly, foolishly, flippantly, is to profane the name of God. Um, and, you know, we see people do this all the time. Um, they might not be making like a direct oath, but they'll say things like, I swear to God. And they're using it very flippantly and in a way that is... um very, very casual. Now they're not nece- they're not necessarily making an oath, but they're using the language of an oath and doing it in a way that is um, very, f- you know, very flippant. That's very dangerous language because, um, you know, while an oath is to be done with, uh, with solemnness and with thoughtfulness, um, you can make a rash oath. You can say something without thinking through what you're saying, and then you are held accountable to that. And that's why we should never be talking like that um, when we're referencing God. And we shouldn't swear by anything at all. Um, You know, we'll see in Matthew 5. Um, But God's name is to be revered. God's name is to be used solemnly. We're not to be swearing by his name in in a rash way, because it it just gives that impression that we are not taking God seriously and we're treating God uh, in a very flippant way. Um, real quick, John Gill, he says through swearing falsely by it or through any rash or vain oath in common conversation, not by perjury in a court of judic- judicature, but all profane oaths, curses, and impre- uh, imprecations are forbidden as breaches of the third commandment, which this refers to. So swearing falsely by the name of God. And, and again, this is what was seen as uh, the understanding as it relates to violating the third commandment. Um, it is not what Prager said it is. It's not doing um, uh, evil in God's name. While that is a bad thing to do, it's sinful because it's lying, it's, it's misrepresentation. Um, it, it's not a violation of the third commandment um, that we see here. Swearing and taking vows rashly and in an improper way is how we um, violate the third commandment, and then breaking them, not doing what we said we're going to do. Um, just real quick from Joshua chapter 9, we were, uh, before the podcast, we were having family devotions, and we were reading through Joshua, and we got to chapter 9, and and this was a very helpful passage. Uh, if you look in starting at verse 18, it says, The sons of Israel did not strike them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders said to the whole congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. And this is referring to the, I think, the Gibeonites who had come and deceived the Israelites and made them make a covenant with them under false pretenses. Um, but even though it was done under false pretenses, they still kept that oath because they realized that this was obligatory and they made this oath by the Lord. And again, as we've seen from these other passages, swearing falsely by the name of God is to violate his name. So they, they saw this as very, very important um, and in keeping with God's law. Even though these people were devious, they still were going to keep the promise that they made to them because they swore by God. They swore by his name. Um, so very, very important there. Anything to add, Sean?
2: Yeah, um, I want to go to a uh, a uh, passage that actually uses the exact same phrase, take, uh, take the name in vain, uh, so that we can see contextually how it's used elsewhere and see if it uh, fits with Mr. Prager's uh, uh, view here. So this is Psalm 139, and I'm going to quote from verses 19 through 22. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do I not do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect perfect hatred, I count them my enemies. So here we use do we see that exact phrase, um, uh, it's take thy name in vain as opposed to take the Lord's name in vain, but it's it's uh, name in vain. Right there, it's the same exact phrase, and contextually, he's talking about um, violent men, bloody men that are wicked and are speaking wickedly against the Lord. That's the first part of twenty-two. For they speak against thee wickedly. This is this doesn't seem like it would fit with somebody who's re- representing themselves as being from God, um, but more so that they're 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 blaspheming the name, right? um you even have a little bit of a parallel going on um where you've got uh first part for they speak against they speak against thee wickedly paralleled and thine enemies take thy name in vain just like in verse uh 21 do i not hate them O lord that hate thee am i not grieved with those that rise up against thee so you've got the hate and the grieved and then 22 i hate them with a perfect hatred i count them mine enemies so hatred and counting as enemies there's this this parallel is going on through the psalm so these these are related ideas um, that they're speaking against god and they're um they're uh taking his name in vain so that's it doesn't necessarily fit with um with his view i would I, i will take a little bit of a different view dan i think that you could in some sense say that um, misrepresenting God is taking his name in vain in a sense, and therefore it would fall under the commandment. Just like looking at a woman with lust is uh, committing adultery in your heart. And that's a violation of the commandment against adultery. Even though you have adultery, which is the the, the specific sin, it's in the same category. Um, at least that, that's how I would view it. I don't know if you you still disagree or not, but I'd say that it's, categorically if i wanted to fit that under one of the 10 commandments which is which category does it fall under i think i would put it under the third but it's just me oh i think you might be on mute or at least i can't hear you
0: yeah sorry <laughs> it's like a conference call at work or something <laughs> um yeah i don't know if i go down that road um I think the examples are pretty clear from the old covenant itself that kind of flesh out what that commandment looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing about lust is that we do have a positive example of that parallel Mm -hmm. and same with anger being associated with murder. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't see that as it relates to this commandment Um, and the positive examples that we do have all have to do with oath taking or vows. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be my response to that.
2: Okay. Well, we are we are brothers in Christ. We're free to disagree. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Do you have anything else to add, Sean?
2: Um, I feel like I did have something I also wanted to say. Um. Oh, play the play the very last bit. Um, and then we'll. Uh, I have something to close out with.
1: Sure. Don't carry God's name in vain. If you do. God won't forgive you. I'm Dennis Prager. Join pre-
2: that, that that really struck me as how he, he ended his uh yeah. his, his his video. The and do you, doom
0: at the very yeah. end.
2: Woo. What do you what do you do if you fear you've already taken his name in vain? Um what what hope is there, right? Mm-hmm. Um and we we have examples of People who, even in his sense, have taken the Lord's name in vain, right? The Apostle Paul says, I was a blasphemer, but God gave me mercy. He went around persecuting Christians, putting them, to, or um, not maybe personally putting them to death, but having them put to death, um, representing that he was doing the work of God, right? He was doing evil in God's name, and God forgave him.
0: That is a good right? point. Yep. Yeah.
2: Um, to, to have Mr. Prager's view, you have no... You have no hope, but there is hope. There is hope for anyone that fears that they might have done this. This is not the unforgivable sin. Um, and I, I'd like to to turn it around a little bit because he says that the one who misrepresents God is is committing this sin and is um, is therefore will never be forgiven. Well, throughout this this series, Dennis Prager misrepresents God. He does, as we have, as we've proven um, in the previous videos and even in this video, um, he has a very man centered worldview. He says that God is really about the happiness of uh, and the well being of men, and not about himself. It's a misrepresentation. It's making a thing uh, making the commandments primarily about men and not about God. Um, so I would charge him of being guilty of the very thing that he thinks is an unforgivable sin. And, uh, as Jesus says, what, uh, what standard you use will be measured back against you. The standard that by which you judge, you will be judged. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I pray that he repents, um, because there is forgiveness of sin, uh, in Jesus Christ for those that would, uh, repent and put their trust in him. Mm-hmm. But, um, I just, I, I, I find it ironic because this will be the, the second show where we've uh, we've accused him of doing the exact the exact thing that he says uh, is a violation of the commandment. First with uh, idolatry and now with uh, taking the Lord names of uh, the Lord, the name of the Lord in vain. Excuse me. So, yeah.
0: And you and imposing his own opinion of God's law on the law when. Yeah. He's been saying that the, it's the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. So, you know, and sometimes it takes a little bit as you're, you're, you know, when we prepare for these things, we're at least for me with these videos, sometimes I have to watch them a couple times just to make sure, okay, did I get the main points? Am I representing him correctly? Did uh-huh. I hear that's right? You know, and, and as you listen to these things more, you start to pick up on these concepts, right? And you're like, wait a minute, he's doing the very thing that he's telling us not to do. Oh, and he did it here and he did it here. And how does this relate to this? Um, so those are the, sometimes it's, what's not said that's most important than what is said. Mm -hmm. And that's really where you have to think critically and and really dive into these things. Um, all right, well, we made it through the third commandment. Um, I think next, next week, Lord willing, we're going to be at the Keach conference. And those of you who saw our last year's episode, um, we're going to be doing an episode at, uh, the Keach conference this year. Uh, We're going to be interviewing at least uh, Dr. Tim Decker, who's been on the show before and maybe one of the other speakers. Um, And then I'm going to try and create um, a highlight video as well. So that'll be separate from the actual uh, episode. So more to come on that. And then the week after that, um, I believe we have a guest. So um, October, the end of September and early October, we're going to have a couple guests on. Um, some well-known guests. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, But thank you for watching. Uh, We are part of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Go and check that out at reformpodcast.com. Check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net. We're trying to put out new content weekly. It doesn't always happen, but we got plenty of content there to keep you busy. So check that out. And finally, if you're watching on our YouTube channel and you have not yet subscribed, hit the subscribe button and hit the bell to be notified so you can... Uh, Be part of the conversation uh, whenever new videos come out. Well, with that, everyone, have a great evening and thank you for joining.
2: Bye-bye.